Living Proof with Chris Flickinger. And welcome to another episode of Living Proof with Chris Flickinger, where overcoming fears and beliefs through a strong mindset can and will be achieved. This is Dan Morrow, and here is Chris Flickinger. How are you today, sir? Dan, I'm better than good. How are you? I'm I'm very good. All right, all right. Very good. Looking forward to a new month. Yes. What are we? We're uh, we're in October. This is what Halloween. Mm-hmm. Today is Halloween. Today is Halloween. So happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, we're going to uh, kind of go with a few things here, and I was thinking about the last few shows, Dan, and and and. I can't. I thought to myself, how do you get, do you ever get in a rut? Have you ever been in a rut? I am in nothing but ruts. Nothing but ruts. Nothing but ruts. So how do you get unstuck from your rut? It's hard. It's hard because I have what's called, I I think the problem is how do you get out of the the, the Tuesday morning disease? And what, what I say by that is Sunday I am psyched. I can't wait to start the new week. Let's go. Let's do this. You know, and Sunday night, I'm already I prepared. I, I maybe have done some sit-ups, some some push-ups and stuff. Boom! Monday morning comes. Let's start this week on a bang. And we we I'm maintaining and I'm doing good, eating good today. Not you know, not abusing myself, not doing anything wrong. And then Monday night, I go to sleep. And then Tuesday morning comes, and I'm like, mm, not feeling it today. I'll I'll do it tomorrow. So you and, don't and, have the Monday morning and, blues. And that's that's. <laughs> That's that's where the rut comes in. Okay, all so, right. So I'm always in some kind of a rut. So uh, you know, it, and are you trying when you get in this rut? Are you just trying to get out of the rut, or are you trying to make a real positive change? Because that's what I want to talk about today. I'm stuck. How do I get to become unstuck? And more importantly, how do I implement positive change? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like that all. I'm always thinking that. Okay, I'm, I'm always thinking that, you know, because that, that's the problem. I, I, I'm always trying to improve on every aspect, whether it, whether it's my, uh, just, just, anything I have to balance, whether it's balancing my day, day to day life, balancing the, the family, the, the family dynamic, the kids, the, the job. Balance. You know, I'm always trying to make myself better and make everything around me better. Mm-hmm. And days, I there, there are days I feel good, like like everyone else, and this is just a good day. You know, I'm trying to keep up momentum, mm-hmm. and I'm saying things to myself to keep to maintain that momentum. But maybe later on that day, just something something can come and just snap me out of that. Whether whether it's a um, an issue that just arose, you know, oh, this came up the last minute I got to take care of, or or something else, and and it's just very hard to um, get out of that rut at that during during those times. It, it brings you back into a rut, and I can't get out of that. Okay, yeah, and and when I, I think about that and and how you're presenting that to me today. You know, it sounds like the you know the get the day starts with great intentions. You got your commitment, you got your follow through, and then boom! Either that day, a few days later, something gets in the way, and before you know it, you're right back to where you started. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. And if you think about that, do you think that like it's you don't have the discipline? A lot of it has to do with discipline. 
Or does a, it have a lot of it's discipline? I, I know when when I lost my weight the first time, that was all discipline. Mm-hmm. And it was whatever stories I was telling myself and you know, I I was just I was driven. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even discipline. It was I was dri- I was driven. There was just something driving me. You know, um sometimes if 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 I was in a rut, one of the things I would do was just clean the room. Just 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 to stay driven. You know, and then okay. you're just focused on that and you just can't wait for that end goal. You know, while you're waiting for the long-term end goal, you know, I'm waiting to lose weight and stuff. But what do I do right now? I'm getting antsy. I want to eat something. I want to go somewhere. You know what? I, I clean, clean the house, clean, clean the room or something, or, or, or start something to get your mind still focused. So maybe not just, maybe in addition to discipline, creating new habits. Mm hmm. So if you look at it and you think about and and I was kind of trying to lead you down a path and and some some observations that I've made in the past with working with people is, you know, your beliefs and your behaviors will ultimately give you your results. So if you're stuck, what are you stuck? What what were you thinking? What is going on with your life at this specific moment in time? And what are you doing? What are those habits? Think back when you were a child, when you didn't know how to tie your shoes. You had no, no idea how to do that. So what happened was somebody, usually a parent, a grandparent, taught you how to do that. They taught you a habit. And now, do you have any problem tying your shoes? Right, no. No. Brush your teeth. You were taught to brush your teeth. You developed a habit. You do it every day. Mm-hmm. Or at least you should do it every day if you want to brush your teeth. Yeah. You know. So when you think about those types of things... It's no different than, and we've talked about this in the past, it's no different than losing weight. You weren't born six foot tall, 250 pounds, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 pounds overweight. You somehow developed into that body frame. The beliefs and behaviors, the stories you're telling yourself, and you just alluded to that, the stories you're telling yourself, and then the behaviors or the steps that you did, instead of going for a walk... I'm not saying you, I'm saying you in the sense of people, right. I'll have a bag of chips instead. You've conditioned yourself. You chase. So to get unstuck, first you have to identify, and we talked about this, I think, before, last week, what's the root cause? What is the issue at hand? What am I stuck on? And now what steps am I going to take to, you know, and I like to talk about and give, give, the, give our listeners, you know, a, a couple different ideas or a few steps that they can take like because it always comes back to well that sounds great and that sounds easy but how do i do it i think i think one of the problems is there there are some people that are just so so stubborn and so hard-headed in many ways that they they know they're stuck but they they're in a denial that they're stuck or or don't even recognize that they're stuck they just think this is it Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're stuck with no end in sight, as opposed to someone like you and you and me, and many people out there who we get stuck, but we know there's an end in sight, and that's that's where the Rubik's cube comes in. Now we got to try to solve what's the end, how do we get there, and let, let's solve this puzzle, because I I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and some people are just just too. I don't want to say Debbie Downer, but but yeah, they're they're gloomy. They're they're they have a miserable outlook 
on things and they just accept things for what they are rather than recognizing in the first place that they are in fact just stuck and there is a way to get out right and think about where the individual is so someone who feels that they're in a there's no end in sight let's use a uh, you hear this all the time and that's why there's there's plenty of self-help books out there do you want to do you, do you want to you want to get a better job we talk about that you know a lot of times we always talk about your career or your health so you know if i'm unhealthy or if i'm overweight or if i desire to change the way i look you know that's the end result but what are we doing about it like take inventory of where you are today and for the most part, people, I think I just, did I drop that pencil or did I, you drop I, that pencil? I dropped that one. I'm an absolute <laughs> That's it. Well, stop. Listen, this is a listen-only mode, Dan. No. Um, what, I was, what I was saying is a lot of times you, you get to a point where you throw your hands up and say, it's too big. You know, getting a new job or, or losing 50 pounds, it's just not going to work for me. It feels totally insurmountable. Right. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you're looking up. It's not even a hill. It's a giant mountain that you're looking up going, I got this boulder called losing weight, and I got to push it all the way to the top of that hill. It's not worth it. So first, the first thing you do is you got to place value on what you want, right? And we talked about that before. So what is it, what new habits do you want to create, and what value do you want? Is it more important to you to stay where you are or move forward? And if that's the case, the first step is just start small. Right, so it doesn't matter whatever you're trying to achieve. Just break it down into its smallest possible action. So let's use weight loss because that's an easy one to talk about because it's numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So anybody out there, if you're ten pounds overweight or hundred pounds overweight, what are you going to start with? A small step. How do I lose one pound? Not a hundred, not ten, but one. So what are you going to do? So you do all this research, all this study, and you say, well, you got to run five miles a day. If you run five miles a day, you'll lose this amount of weight. You do all the math, and everybody comes back, and within 30 days, you're, and you're going to do a body transformation. You're going to be the best new version of yourself. Are you really going to run five miles day one if you're 50 pounds overweight? No. It'd be, you're setting yourself up for failure. So breaking it down to a small thing, why don't you try just walking around the block, right. not even running? That's step one. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just something as easy as just just getting on the floor, and you just just stretching. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, you know, I'll, I'm I'm there. I'll say, well, today I'm going to stretch and stuff. And I'm looking. I'm thinking, I don't want to stretch right now. I don't want to get on the floor right now. But sometimes that's all it takes. Just just that first step. Just stretch, even if that's all you did today. Yeah. It it's a start. Stretch a, tomorrow now. Right. Stretch the next yeah. day. And, and give yourself 15 good minutes of, of just stretching. And by the end of the week, you've, you've accomplished something. You, you've stretched throughout the week. You, you've, you've done that. Now, now do something else. Now give, do that for a month because it says you know, how, many day, how many times should you do something before it becomes a habit. Studies say 21 days. Yeah. I believe that's, if you Google it, I think everybody's consensus is 21 days of break or start a habit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to that point. And here's the other thing. 
There may be people out there listening to us right now that go, stretch, what's that? Or run, I, I've never run. I don't, I don't run, I don't walk. So maybe the first thing you got to do is buy a pair of yoga pants or a pair of sweatpants and just look at them. Mm-hmm. Because you can't stretch in jeans. Right. Or buy a pair of sneakers and then just look at them. There's step one. You've already taken a very small step. Step two, put them on. Step three, right. take that, you know, go. For, so it's not just jump off the diving board. It's dip your toe in the shallow end of the pool and just see what it feels like. You know, first, first you got to show up. So that's my example. You got to show up to the pool before you've put your foot in. Right. So go buy those, you know, the, the workout gear. Go buy the, the running shoes. So there's your, there's your first. There's, there it is. You showed up with them. Now what are you going to do? Got to put them on. Then you dip your toe in the water. So those small, but think about how the brain would change the way you think that way. Because prior to this conversation, somebody was saying, I don't even own a pair of running shoes, let alone run. I'm not even going to walk. I just, I get in my car, I go to the office, I go to the job site, go to the grocery store, and I come home. Mm-hmm. I don't have time. I put my slippers on. I don't have time for anything else. I don't have time for anything else. So then you start, so that's a whole different topic of conversation where we can find time in the course of a day. Because mm-hmm. um, you can find time to do nothing, and that's doing something. Doing nothing is actually doing something. Yeah. So, but that, like I said, that's a whole other, another part, another uh, story. The other thing, too, is if you think about this change, and we'll stay with these topics, what's your trigger? You know, so that's another, you know, that's a step two in this process. You know, you've already decided that I am going to stretch or I am going to, Eventually, I'm going to run. So when will you do it? Because now it comes back to the time issue. Think about this. Think about when you brush your teeth in the morning. What do you do after you brush your teeth? Maybe you get dressed, then brush your teeth. Or maybe you brush your teeth, then you get dressed. But they go hand in hand. So what will be the trigger for the next step? I got to put those shoes on. When will it be? When I get out of bed? Or when I come home from work? Or when I break for lunch, or you know, when I put the kids down because I have young children and we got to get the baths and get them done. So now I'm finally going to do it. It's the last thing I do before I put my slippers on. So you got to find a trigger. When will you find that to change that behavior and to start a new habit? When when will you start? When will you that sort of that snap of the finger say? I'm going to be able to do this because now you're training your, your, your new thought process. Say, at 6 a.m. every morning, snap of a finger, I get up, I put on my sneakers, I walk around the block, then I come back, I take my shower, I brush my teeth, and I go off to work. Right. So that, that's another way of, you know, getting started. So I have a small step, then I have to have a little trigger to, to, to signify when I'm going to do it. Now, for, for me... I, I would I would have the um, you you have your uh, your start small and, and and have your have your trigger when when for me when you keep saying trigger it it, it takes me back to the um, to what what triggers you to do it in the first place and that's what I think when when I hear you trigger you know so there there is the um, what what causes you to want to make the change in the first place. And and then you start small, and and then you you have have that trigger. You you have that 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 voice on in, on your shoulder, you know, telling you, okay, now we have to do this. I I think it, around this point you should talk to your friends or, or talk 
to your spouse or talk to someone and and just let them know what you're doing so not only do they can they give you some support and not even emotional but actual physical support look i won't be able to do the the i won't be able to prep the lunches today or i won't be able to get the breakfast or something i i need to do this this is one of the only times i can do this so so you have that kind of support as well so so that when you do do your trigger and when you do jump on this it's non-negotiable people will know from here on out i you know every every morning six o'clock from six to seven or whatever that that's my time it, it's non-negotiable i got to do this to uh to better myself and that comes down to finding a the finance strong support system says my spouse my friend my coworker, uh my dog my cat <laughs> i this is my time and i'm changing my behavior but I need you to honor that, allow me to do this, and then support me in this endeavor because it's something that it's important to me, mm-hmm. and that's where the change starts. The change always starts from within. It's important to me. So having that person that you know, to your point, hey, I'm going to wake up in the morning, and at 6 a.m., this is, this is my new starting time. At 6 a.m., I am going to take 15 minutes to go and do this activity, do this walk, do this jog, do this stretch, do this meditation, whatever that new step is that you want to, and then you know to start, mm-hmm. and then and then having that person or those indivi- or those persons um, respect that, right? Especially when you're when people depend on you, right? And it could be one of those things where you're saying you're going to say, you know, it may be something even more beneficial to you um, when you say something like that, especially to your spouse or something. They may turn around and say, "Well, don't do that at six a.m." You know, do it at seven. You know, the the kids are doing this and this, and and you'll have more time. And and you know what? If you if you do it at eight tonight, I could even do it with you, or something. So so just just put it out there. Let them know what what you're doing, and they they may even want to be a part of it. Also, what you're doing when you're saying this to them is you're you're giving yourself some accountability, right? We're, we're, that's part, that's, that's another step in there and you, you're jumping ahead of my, I'm sorry my, about that. that's okay, but the accountability and, but there's, before you have the accountability, if your spouse says to you, don't do it at 6am, do it at eight o'clock tonight with me. Have you ever done that with your spouse before? You got to ask that question. Have we ever done this before? Mm-hmm. So if you were me to role play and, and I would say, Dan, you're my spouse and we're going to do this tonight. You go, no, uh, yeah, sure. You're already taken an active approach. You've already made the decision. You've already decided to take that step. You've already incorporated when this is when you're going to snap your finger to make it happen. And then I come along and say, wait a second. I need you to do it at a different time because I want to be involved. They're just words. Mm-hmm. If I truly want to be involved, you can your natural response will be, all right, this is when I'm doing it. See if you get the buy-in. So yeah. if you get the buy-in from that, then you can make the modification. Because until, until you convert those words into action, you know what most likely will happen? You're gonna, you will fall right back in that rut because you've already compromised something that you were trying to start. You already compromised your first small step. Mm-hmm. So that accountability now that goes hand in hand. So now to, to flip that and say, where's the accountability? 
You're the accountability because you're the one who decided, and we're going to stay with the same example. Six o'clock in the morning, I'm going to do this. I come along and say, no, let's do it at seven o'clock or let's do it tonight together. You say, why don't we do this? Let's hold each other accountable. I've already came up with this idea. You want to jump on board with me? This is when we're going to do it. And then let's see if we both do this together and then we can make our concessions. Now we're both accountable for each other. Here's... um Something I may I may be taking this off totally in a, in a totally different course. Um, when when you, when you think of those ruts, I, I think of also the long term ruts, the the depressional ruts that that people have. You know, they they may be fit, they may be in in top shape and everything, but n- now they're just in a rut of perhaps trying to. They they don't feel a purpose yet. Or, or they just have one of those those kind of ruts. You were in a rut, right? You know, and d- during your rut, what is going through your mind at at, at that time? And you, you've had some very very deep ruts. Um, the first thing that goes through, and at least for me personally, is it, why me? So why why me? And for years, I would go through, and that was a rut that I would fall into. Um, due to the multiple surgeries that I had to have over the years. And, you know, I, I would be preparing myself. So my small step, my preparation, my trigger was designed to get to a next level. See, I didn't have a disease. I had injuries. That they're totally two different stories that we can be talking about, but they somehow sometimes have the same results. When you have a disease that's a maintenance program, when you have an injury, sometimes there is a, um, uh, we're going to do a, a scar revision. So there's going to be three steps, and then the end result will be the best we can, the, the scar will be revised, or we're going to do an implant. They're going to take you through a series of steps. So all that preparation I would go through, and it's very hard when you're in that situation to say every day is going to be a great day because you're preparing yourself for what was to the end result was going to be. So I was in a place where most of my time was spent going, why does this have to happen to me? Why do I have to go through this? Why does it require three surgeries? I'm still not going to look the same as, say, you, Dan, because you got two eyes or mm-hmm. you, have, you don't have to get a, uh, an implant in your cheek. So why do I have to go through this? And I realized I had no other choice. That was my circumstance. When people decide it's their circumstance and there's no turning back, I cannot undo. So my, my rut lasted, and, I, and frankly, my rut lasted for quite some time. Till I realized, I said, well, why not me? Who else could it be? I was dealt this hand. Um, what am I going to do about it? When I finally decided to take the steps, say, what am I going to do about it? And I stopped blaming others and I stopped complaining and I stopped saying my circumstances here, I'm never going to get out of it. I will never see with two eyes. And it took me a long time to realize. um, And I was very angry about that. And I was very depressed about that. And then I finally started to say, but I can see with one eye. Mm -hmm. And now that I can see with one eye, what can I do? I'm going to go golf because people, when I, was, I would go through, they, they said, let's go golf. And I was like, well, I can't do that. 
So I was telling myself I couldn't do something. Well, and well, I because well, I'm here, stuck. Here's something. What were what you thought limitations for you at that time? When 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 you were just realizing that that you know your eye was totally gone. Right. And all you had was was the one eye. What what was that list of things that you felt I can't do this now? Now, obviously, there are some things that you just can't do. You don't have depth perception or anything. I don't have depth perception, and so you won't you won't be a wide receiver anytime soon. Well, I could be a wide receiver, but I wouldn't be necessarily able to fly an airplane. Okay, there's a book called A Singular View, and it talked about a pilot who uh, was landing a plane and a goose crashed through the front windshield and impaired his vision, went blind in one eye, and he tried to retrain himself to be able to fly again. So I'm not saying anything's possible, but the problem, mm-hmm. there's certain things that are harder to do than others. But what were the things because that you you flat out thought, like, like golfing, oh, I can't do You were creating more stories for I yourself. Sto- I can't do this, can't do this. What were the things that you do now that you thought you would never be able to do because of you know, what you expect, you, you accepted as a handicap or a disability? You hit on two two things here. First of all, the first thing I never thought I was going to be able to do is um, we're sitting here and you you poured me a glass of water out of a clear pitcher. When I first got in, when I first came out of surgery and I was first home recovering, I would take that same glass of the, the glass the glass pitcher full of water on a clear glass and I would completely miss the glass and the water would go all over the table. And I was sitting there at the time with my mother and I would get frustrated. I'm like, am I ever going to be able to pour a glass of water again? <laughs> That's where I started. I'm like, how? I, but if you gave me a, um, a color, so say you gave me, I don't know, iced tea. If you gave me iced tea in a clear pitcher and a clear glass, I would be able to somehow see and match it up. So this, the easiest, the smallest things that you take for granted were robbed from me temporarily. I didn't make it permanent, but at that moment in time, just pouring a glass of water, clear on clear. Having a catch. If I was to have a catch a base, with a baseball or a football, and um, I'll give you the example of how everybody can try to figure out, because if you have two eyes, you're not going to... If you have one eye, you know what I'm talking about right now, but if you have two, you're not really going to be able to understand it, so I'll try to create an example. If we went out in the backyard, we were having a catch. You know, just before it gets dark, and you're throwing the ball back and forth, and there's that, that one point when it's just getting dark, and you go, all right, let's stop playing because I'm having trouble seeing because you feel like all of a sudden the ball's in your glove or you right. kind of hard judging it. That's what it's like having to catch on a bright, sunny day. So I had to train myself to do that. When it came to golf, when I first would swing, my hand-eye coordination. So I said, well, if I can't pour a glass of water, I can't catch ball, how am I going to hit a little golf ball? And I would get out there, and I'd miss, and I'd swing. So these were, ty- these were examples of having limited vision that I could have easily rolled over and said, well, I'm not going to be a professional golfer. Eh, I'm not going to play baseball. You know, I'm 19, 20, 21. What's, does it matter? Well, well, that's the thing. Some people may never want to golf again. Right. But then I thought to myself, well, why can't I do that? And it goes back to, think about when you um, try anything, when you first got started. Like, and I talk about this even, to, to, we're talking about this today, so 30 years later, I'm, I'm still talking about the same thing. It can't hurt, it might help. Like, why not try it? What's the worst that could happen? 
um, I'm going to miss the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're having a catch, let's start a little close and maybe start. I started with a softball and it was close, and then I went to a hardball. Now I'm not going to go play uh, in, in a men's baseball league and put my because you do lose the last three feet of something coming in. So that's okay. the difference when you have singular vision. So ping pong, ask my family. I am horrible at ping pong. That ball comes in so fast. I'm like, all right, let's scratch that off the list. The kids, they have fun with it. They laugh at it. They go, let's play ping pong. We know we can beat you in that. I'm like, there you go. So there's certain things that I'm like, okay, but I'll still try. I'll still go out and do it. I'll have fun. I, I don't, it's, it's eliminating the fear. We've talked about this. Most people will not do something in life They'll make excuses and they'll be afraid because they're afraid to fail or sometimes people are afraid to succeed. What did you see the rest of your life being at, at that point when, when you're in that rut? What, what did you see um, being the rest of your life, the, being your, the rest of your existence? Wow, I, was, I wasn't prepared for you to ask me that, but I'll tell you, I saw myself in a position in life where I was going to be reclusive. I was not going to interact with people. How was I going to make a living? The chances that I was going to find a significant other were slim to none. My whole life was going to be about my injuries. And I was not sure where I was going to go. So when I looked at career paths, I'm like, what could I do? If I don't want to be around people, I thought... I'll be a truck driver and I'll be a long distance truck driver because they're by themselves in a truck. But then I said, well, how am I going to do that if I only have one eye? So I lived in this vicious cycle for a long time. And then the way I got out of it was I was looking around and, you know, I'm going back, you know, I'm 50 years old, but this this time I was free and clear by the doctors. So I had all these injuries and I was in a hospital for a little over two months and I was home recovering a broken back and a broken neck and you know now I got this blind eye and it's a year at home and thankfully my uh, my family my mother my father they took care of me and you know I was able to rehabilitate but a year later as far as the doctors were concerned I was healed right you know I'm 20 I'm physically I'm 21 years old now year and a half I'm healed physically meaning the doctor gave me they get I call it I got my ticket punched Mm -hmm. doctor said Orthopedic surgeon says, you're good. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have arthritis someday if you don't exercise. Okay, whatever, doc. I'm 21 years old. By the time you're 40, well, 40 is old. I'm never even going to see 40, right? Okay. Eye doctor goes, this is all we can do. You got 20-20 vision. I suggest you get glasses because it'll protect your eye. Well, I don't want to wear glasses because that's, who wants to wear glasses? My friends don't wear glasses. I never wore glasses before. All right, whatever, doc. So I'm going down the list of all these doctors. I always several doctors. I go to a plastic surgeon. He goes, you know, there's more that we can do. It's going to take a series of, of time. But all of your subsequent, your follow-up surgeries from here on out are going to be to, for cosmetic reasons. But you'll never be 100%. So then I'm like, all right, well, why bother? But I want to be 100%. So I was stuck and I had to go out in life. And I would go out and um, I would be out with my friends and, and I, you know, they'd be meeting people and talking to people and trying to find dates and have a good time and who's going to go skiing. And I want to ski because I used to do that and all these things. And I, I just, I was just watching everybody at that time, I thought, excel. And I just felt I was stuck. And I didn't have the 
I didn't I didn't have all the stuff that we're talking about today. Like, like looking back on it, I, this is what I did, but at the time I didn't know it. What got me started was I remember sitting down and thinking to myself, well, the doctor says I'm okay, and I'm 21 years old. I have two choices at this point. I could either take the high road or the low road. I can either go positive or I can go negative. I could just tell the doctors, every, I know I was in pain, but I could have overplayed that card and said, just give me, give me the Vicodins, give me the Percocets, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll just take the, I'll take the pain medications, I'll drink. I probably could find some drugs along the way too. I mean, it's not that hard to find. And we talk about how marijuana is almost legal in today's day and age, and it is in some places. But back then, I'm sure I could have found it. So I could have went down that path and then God knows what other drug I could have been on. And, or I could have started to do something different and say, what would be, what would my life be like if I tried one thing? So I said, you know what? I am going to get in shape. That was the first thing I did. And I am going to master pouring a glass of water. I'm, anything clear on clear. So it was water in a glass, you know, glass with water, Sprite, 7-Up. I'm going to master this. So my first steps, as, as small as they sound to people listening, it was I am not going to embarrass myself because I felt embarrassed and I felt helpless that I can't even pour a glass of water. I am going to learn how to do that. So I would sit there in the kitchen and I would get the clear glass and I would get different size glasses and I have a clear picture of water and I'd have a shot glass then I'd have like a little drinking glass I have a tall glass and I would practice and I practice you went that that crazy because yeah, it was pissing me off I'm like this <laughs> is this is terrible <laughs> that was step one that was my very first step I would walk into walls I had a neck brace and a back brace and I would get up to go to the bathroom and I and I'd walk into the wall because my depth perception was off I'm like my first step, now that the doctor says I'm healed, and I, I'm a big proponent, like I'm not suggesting if you're sitting there with a broken arm right now, you're not going to cut your own cast off and go throw a football around. I'm not suggesting no. that. When the doctor gave me that clearance and turned me free, I wasn't free. I was still holding myself victim to the things I can't do. And I was still comparing myself to everybody around me. And I said, as I think in the first or second episode, there's three things that's going to hold anybody back to, back from out there listening. If you have fear, if you develop those habits and you allow the opinions of others, you'll never get out of your rut. So I had the fear. I was developing these habits of negative thoughts. And then I was worried about what everybody else thought about me. Um, and that... That 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 was that debilitated me. That was that crushed me. Probably from the time the doctor said you were cleared for a good year, good two three years, because I had these surgeries. I still had to go through, but I was determined to just listen to these doctors. Put me back the best you can. Now what can what can I do? Whatever they said I was capable of doing. That's how I picked myself up. I said I'm going to do this. Doctor said. Your vision's 2020. You're not going to see because you have a torn retina. Someday they may have the technology, but it's going to be years from now. So you need to learn how to see with what you have. And I was upset. I was pissed. And I'm like, well, I can't change that. They're telling me there's no look, there's no change from this. This is this is it. This is my hand, whether I like it or not. 
So now, after I went through my, and we talked about the range of emotions, you're happy, mm-hmm. you're sad, you're mad, you're pissed off, I, why, why my eyes should have been something else. Once I accept it, and that, that's the key, accept, for, accept where you are, then I was able to look at what I needed to work on. And like I said, in the very, very beginning, it was something that's pouring a glass of water. And then I said, you know, the exercise, which I'm a big proponent of today. I, something in the back of my mind is this orthopedic surgeon said, Chris, if you don't work on strengthening your body and work on mobility and just flexibility by the time you're 40, well, again, at 21, 40 is, you're an old man at 40. And, uh, but I started to think, you know, I lost over 50 pounds with the, with the broken jaw and the wire and all this. I went from 185 down to 130. It's a big difference. So I was like, I got to put weight on. So what I need to do is take the necessary steps. So my steps were go for a walk. Just like I'm telling the audience out there, just go for a walk. Take in the fresh air. Be grateful that you woke up with breath today. And then, but you got to go through the emotions. And I did all that. And then I just started layering. I started, I kept telling myself every time there was a surgery coming up, they would always, doctors were very eager to give me pills. So I could tell you all the different, you know, I had all the different narcotics. And so you'll take this for 30 days. And I took them because, you know, I was under care. And I was like, okay, this, and the pain and it hurt. And I was like, it worked for me. But then it got to a point where it's like, all right, just get me healed. I don't want to feel this way. You know, as much as I could take a pill or you can have a drink and you make the pain go away, it's temporary. I wanted to go away permanently. So how am I going to get rid of the aches and pains in my body? Go back to what the doctor said. Go strengthen yourself. Go work on your flexibility. Well, I'm here to tell you that was at 21. 40 came and went. Fortunately, I still had the same orthopedic guy. I went and saw him and he goes... Come here, we, take a, we took pictures, top to bottom of my neck. There's your fusion, there's your everything, the four, five, and six vertebrae, they're all fused, looks good. And he takes the pencil and he's going down every vertebrae. He goes, you got no arthritis, no arthritis. You got a little bit right there at the base. Back looks good, T9, that was where I fractured. Looks great, lower back. He goes, you're doing a fantastic now job. That, now that being said, on a normal, on an average person right now, what... Well, they would also at at their at your age right now, and uh, uh, just someone who doesn't take care of themselves, who has perfect twenty twenty, who's never been mm-hmm. in an accident, probably has arthritis now in 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 their back. You know, they they they've just neglected their their bodies. They they've taken poor care of themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we talked about forty. So, like I said, forty came and went, and you're 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 spot on, Dan, and um. I guess it was a couple years ago. This is has nothing to do with any of the acts or injuries. I was just having problems sleeping. And uh, as much as I did the strength and I did, I did flexibility training and strength training and plyometrics and jumping, all this stuff to build my body, I didn't find a balance. And what I mean by that was I started to develop lower back pain. So I went back to the, to the doctor and he took an x-ray. He goes, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, really? So, I go to, so he goes, well, go to a little physical therapy. Okay. So I go to physical therapist. They go, no, nah, it could be a little bit with the fluids and they're explaining how your vertebrae align and all this. And I would, so, so they gave me stretches to do. Okay, I'll do these stretches. And it kind of helped, but it, then it takes some Advil. 
If you need to come back, we'll give you some pain medication. I'm like, and that's when I thought, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Here I am, 46 years old. Here we go again. I, I thought I, w- I thought I was healed. Now I got something else going on. Like, how much, how much stuff can I carry on my shoulders? I didn't even do anything, and it's bothering me. Well, maybe, maybe it's old age. I don't know. I joke around. You know, 46. How's that old? But I said, oh, whatever. And I remember going to bed, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night. My wife, Lori, she'd go, where are you going? I'm like, my lower back's killing me. I got to go downstairs on a recliner. So I was averaging, at best, six hours, five or six hours laying down in bed. Then I would get up in the middle of the night, go downstairs, get on a recliner, find whatever I could on TV for 15, 20 minutes, fall asleep for the rest of the time, get up at 5, 5.30 and start my day. So she goes, why don't you try yoga? I said, really? I said, all right, let me try it. And I said, but I, I don't want it to sacrifice all the other type of activity I do. She was just incorporated. So I did. And I started doing this yoga program, and I did it once a week. First I did like, and I was already exercising, so, you know, it was, it was an hour. It was like an hour, an hour of yoga, and then there was a stretch that goes with it. So I started doing that. So I did the first yoga, and I think I made it 30 minutes through the yoga because I always thought yoga wasn't, you know, it's just kind of, it's not like lifting weights. It's not like, you know, running or, you know, it's just like all you're doing is standing in these weird positions. But I, but I left with an open mind. There was another step. I was changing my habits. But that, that's, I have to stop you right there because that's what, that's what made you, you right now, okay? It's the fact that you've had this open mind and, and you, you've, you've approached everything with an open mind and you, you've thought of ways, you've thought of scenarios. What's mm-hmm. the worst that could happen? What, what's, what's the absolute worst that could happen right now? You know, if I, if I do an exercise, if I do this, but you've been very open-minded. There are some people that are just so closed-minded, and they're, they're just accepting it. They're in the rut, and they accept it. This is the way it is. Do you know that I run into people on a regular basis that talk about their rut, that they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and go, I love to do what you do. I love to get back to what I, what I used to be. But I got hurt in playing football in high school. And I'm talking to somebody in their 50s. Mm-hmm. High school is a long time ago. They're still holding on to that belief. They never let go. So if you can't let go of something like that, what else could you not let go of? Right. And now you're living with regret. And that's the biggest problem of them all. When you look back on your life and say, I should have, I could have, I would have. Mm-hmm. And you allowed this to get in your way because you're capable. There's no doctor telling you you can't walk or see today. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that really drive me. Uh, I, I read a book from uh, Gene Simmons from KISS. And one of the things he said is, when you die, you know what's going to be on your gravestone? All the things you did or all the things you could have done? What, what, what will be the things that you wish you could have done that you would not be able to do anymore? And you, you don't want to live with a lot of would-haves and could-haves and should-haves. And, and you want to live knowing that you've made a difference. When you're, when you're afraid to do something, like we talked about in one of our earlier episodes, where, um, where it came to just raising your hand or just asking a question, you know, the majority of times, as much as that may stress you to just ask that question or, or say something, you know, if you say something, a week from now, you'll be glad you said that. 
a year from now, you may be ecstatic that you said that. You know, um, if you don't say anything, that will last with you until you die. Yeah. And you will say, I wish I could have, I, I should have said this, I should have said this. You know, I, I had a chance where, you know, I just happened to be in a, in a place where, where Ringo is playing on stage. This is Ringo, the Beatle. You know, and, and he's walking by. And I just decided, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. And at the last minute, I just reached my hand out and touched his shoulder. Yeah, I could have got, you know... They, Security. They secure, <laughs> yeah, everything. It could have yeah. been a mess. But looking back now, I am so glad I did that. I am so glad I did that. And I, I, I could see right now especially if, if it was one of the other Beatles that, that passed, like like George or John, I, I could see like where I would have missed such an opportunity, you know, ha- having done that with someone. You know, fortunately, Ringo's still with us. He's, he's alive and kicking. He's got a new album out now. But uh, I, I just, there's such an opportunity right there to, to make a memory and just to take that chance and to be... To, to to not have a would have could have should have moment, and there are so many people out there right now that I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow just becomes too late. Yeah. You know, and and then they're gonna have all the would haves and could haves and should haves, and they they've stuck. Well, here's something. They're they're stuck, in my opinion, in a self imposed rut. That they're that they're giving themselves, and you know everyone's going to be in a rut. They don't want to be in a rut, and sometimes they didn't ask to be in a rut, but they're going to stay in the rut. The rut comes unintentionally, but but staying in the rut is self-inflicted, or or said different, or said the same. It could be intentional, right? If if you get if something happens to you and you get stuck in a rut. Something put you there. What's going to get you out? Not something, you. Right? So if you think about it, the only person holding you back from moving forward is you. Right. Yeah. Right? The, the only like you're saying, so it's intentional. Story you right. tell and we talked about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's so when you when you think about it, and, and that's what I was saying, you could take you could take a positive approach, you could take a negative approach. Not doing nothing is doing something. It's a choice you made. It's the choices that you make. So if you're cho- you're choosing to stay in a rut, um, I you know in my professional career, I a lot of times you have to um, have the you know all these tasks or all these tasks at hand. Or, you know what are you going to do? What's the so we always say you know make sure you show up. If, if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen. And do the most important. You know work the amount of time on whatever that project is. That it's a lot. If it's a six, if you're working six hours, work six hours. And then do the most important thing first. So you're creating a plan. Well, corporations do that all day, every day with their employees. What are you doing for yourself? How much work are you spending on you? You know, we spend more time at work listening and being told what to do by other people than we do when we come home. Like, are you working on yourself? And I gave you that example of how I was working on myself with the different types of steps when I realized that I'm capable, but I got an uphill battle 
and it all starts with pouring a glass of water. Then it's going to start with, and then I worked my way through all the other um, issues that I had so that I trained myself to say, I want, and that's a big thing, I want to be able to play golf. So I did, well, well, and give, I do. Give us, give us your crash course um, steps in, into, into your way of, of getting out of a rut. Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. So we talked about starting small. Mm-hmm. So you got you to, gotta, so you write it down. If you take out a piece of paper and you decide whatever rut you're in, and I'll use, I'll just use myself as the example today, and I use that um, glass of water. I wrote down, you know, what am I going to do? I got to start step by step. I'm not going to be able to go out in the very beginning, and I'm going off of memory because it's been a lot of years, but you, you, you start with a plan. So I write down, my goal is to not spill water on the counter. That's my goal. So how am I going to do it? Well, I'm going to take different size glasses. I'm going to take different types of liquids, and I'm going to see which ones I have the biggest problem with. So I found that my biggest problem was clear on clear, you know, water in a glass, um, Sprite in a glass. So then I said, well, let's replace the glass with, um, I don't know, a colored mug. Didn't have a problem. So I worked, so I worked it through, and then I, tra- I created a new habit. So my first step was I started with that, that, that idea. And then I said, okay, now I want to go have a catch because I have problems with the last three feet. So then I would have a catch. So I would, we would stand you know, five feet apart, and I would just, we'd just toss the ball. And I would see how that, and then it would 10 feet, mm-hmm. and then 15 feet. So I wrote that down. So I went through a series, like write down and then take the steps. So we start small. Then I would just be, I'd hold myself accountable. Like if I made that mistake and I spilled it, I'd wipe it up, I'd do it again. I'd wipe it up, I'd do it again. So it was consistency. And we talk about, you'll hear that a lot in in just about every aspect of your life. Build a plan, be consistent. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I did, if something was not working... I would try something new. So give you that glass example. If I kept pouring water in a clear glass and I kept missing, I keep going, I clean up, I keep going. But I'm, so let me try something different. Let me try a colored glass. And I realized I had success with that. So then I went more to success slide. Then I went back to the other. So you have to be able to modify your plan. And you got to be able to follow up and try new things along the way. So you write down your goal intended you realize that you're the only one that can make this happen. And then you create, after you create that plan, you create the consistency, and then you create the follow-up, and you try new things along the way. So you, so you start small. You start with those little steps. And, and the trigger, you know, second you have that trigger of just doing it. When, right? You figure yeah. out when. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and I'm going to brush my teeth, then I'm going to meditate or go for a run or whatever it is or pour that glass of water. And then, and then after you do that run, you, you, you're going to come home, you know, don't, I don't think anyone that, that's in, in any kind of fitness program or, or any kind of program who's lifting or, or dieting or whatever should feel like they're suffering at any time. You know, they should be taken care of. And, and this comes to another thing where you should reward yourself after you say, do something like you're that. Gonna re- you need to reward yourself. And it doesn't reward doesn't mean because you went for that run, you come home and before you go to the office, you eat um, you a Cinnabon. No, right. a check mark on a calendar. Remember when you were in school, you used to get the little little smiley faces or stars, right? Just something to acknowledge, you know, it's acknowledgement to say that I did this. 
You know, just you, you, you want to check. It's a, it's a rewarding yourself by saying, hey, the only person sometimes going to pat you on your back is you. So mm-hmm. acknowledge yourself. Then the accountability we talked accountability about. Accountability. You know, that's another one. That's the, that's the fourth thing. So, you know, it's whether you have a spouse, you know, significant other, a friend, um, even an app, even just a, you know, a reminder on your phone, you know, to hold you accountable. You're, the alarm's going to go off at 10 a.m. because you have to do this. Hold yourself accountable. And then the big thing, and this has happened throughout my entire um, span of everything that I've gone through, is you have to prepare for disruptions. Always have a contingency of some sort because something will happen. I want to run every day? That's fine. Well, tomorrow there, it's going to be a 40% chance of a blizzard. And, and this is going to happen. <laughs> this is going to, I may be laid out. I may, there may be, I may be stuck in a house for a week, you yeah. know, snowed in or doing something. There has to be some kind of contingency that you are still making baby steps. Right. And you want to anticipate. If, mm-hmm. you, if, if, if running is your thing and that's what you're working on, there's going to be a blizzard because you turn on the news, then you maybe find an alternate plan. It, but, y- and, but there's other things uh, that, that, that happen that are just instant. You know, some of the big things, you know, God forbid, are, are deaths. Yeah. You know, you, you're in such a mode and such a program and something like that where it's just, you know, gut-wrenching and totally changes everything. The, the whole dynamic of, of, of your routine and everything. Now, you know, you, you may have moments where you don't even, it may take weeks for you to even get back into it. But if you can still do those little baby step things, you know, life-changing things, you know, but you got to prepare for them. You do. And that's, you know, emergencies, contingencies, all these things happen. And it's almost kind of like that old cliche, you know, uh, it's like riding a bike. So if, if an emergency or, or some, um, you know, something happens where you're derailed, you need to pick up where you left off, mm-hmm. whether it's one day or one month. But you go back to those steps. And then the last thing is, and this is a big one, and this is, this is probably the biggest of them all, and, this is, and I'm giving you these six steps and we'll recap it as we're concluding, but you got to be patient, Dan. I mean, depending on the difficulty of the change that you need to go through to make it positive change, it doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. No, and, and this is a instant gratification society. So even if those, you know, you, you need to reward yourself, but, but you do have to be patient. Things aren't going to happen o- overnight. You know, you're not going to see immediate results. You're not going to going to all of a sudden feel better tomorrow, or you're not going to be off that narcotic totally tomorrow. You're not going to be totally, you know, in in the new state of mind you want to be in. But knowing that you are making steps towards that, you know, and and you're making that kind of progress, you know, should be rewarding enough for you. You know, you do need to be patient. You do. And we talked about this before. I uh, And you will see results. You will see later. the results. And we talked about this. This is 20 this, this between you and I, it's 25 years in the making. You were somebody that came along and pulled me out and put me out in front. I never became a truck driver. All I do is get in front of people, but it was a long process. And I was patient along the way and I figured out different steps that we talked about. So I would like to kind of sum this up for you. You know, how do you get out of a rut? How do you get unstuck and make positive change? Number one, start small. Number two, have that trigger. Number three, reward yourself. Number four, create accountability for yourself or have an accountability partner. Number five, prepare for those disruptions. And number six, you got to be patient. 
And with that, we wrap up another episode of Living Proof with Chris Flickinger. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share, please contact us at flickisproof at gmail.com. That's flickisproof at gmail.com. And on social media, he's on Instagram at Chris underscore Flickinger. That's Chris underscore Flickinger. Chris, any last words? No, like always, just make it a great day, and um, we'll talk to you next time.